can't pay the IRS, haven't filed in a while, receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. Hello and welcome to the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor is the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Busky Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. He is the author of 28 books. The most recent one is The Dying Citizen, and maybe we'll have an opportunity to talk a little bit about The Dying Citizen today. But first, let's go to a few messages and we'll come right on back and talk about the California reparations and a little bit about Elon Musk and maybe get into some topics that are a little optimistic as Sammy Wink is often asking Victor, maybe we can have a little optimism. So we'll do that today, but let's have some messages first. Have you heard of cancer fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com. And use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. Welcome back. Um, I would like to remind everybody, Victor can be found at his website, victorhanson.com, and you can join for a monthly 
fee of $5 a month or a subscription of $50 a year. I highly recommend the later because you'll need a long time to read a lot into the Victor, the BDH Ultra material, which is extensive and is not available unless you do have a paid subscription. Victor, how are you doing today? I know we have California reparations on the agenda today and California is, um, how's the weather out there as we It's often? very, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit apprehensive because it's giving me echoes of 2000 the winter of 2000, the late 2021, in which we had this dynamic wet uh, late November, December. And I remember up at Huntington Lake at 7,000 feet, it was five feet. And then it literally did not snow until March. And we lost that momentum. And the same thing is happening. I'm afraid right now we've had some two huge storms and we're about 130% of precipitation, both as determined by rainfall and snowfall. But we're getting up to the 10-day mark, and I'm looking at these long-range forecasts and that high-pressure areas bouncing those storms that come, you know, from Australia or Japan and bouncing them up north again, up to right. Seattle. And so we'll see. Yeah. And what else is new? Okay. Oh, I have – I was making great progress in strangling, crushing, beating long COVID. I got COVID again. So oh, that's, that's no. the third time. Third you time don't. And I had two Moderna shots. I had Delta beat it in three days, as I said. And then I had this long COVID started on May 1st. And then I had taught some, a doctor wrote me and he said, oh, by the way, I was in the audience when you were speaking. Just a reminder, there's a lot of people, you know, I was doing a lot of, I think I spoke over 30 times. So you speak, you, you, you shake a lot of hands and photo ops. And he just said, you don't have lifelong immunity, even though you may be having an autoimmune response to initial COVID. It doesn't mean that that new Omicron variant, which appears periodically, won't get you. So I guess that's what got me. But unlike yeah. what the doctor said, they said each time you get COVID, it gets worse. That was true with Delta. And then Omicron was worse. But this time it wasn't worse than the first time. So I'm already bouncing back. And I've, oh, already, nice. I've, I've already tested negative after five days. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, you have another thing going on in your state besides the weather, and that is a new task force created by Gavin Newsom oh my gosh, to, gonna, on yeah. California reparations. <laughs> I know. And, you know, I was watching, I think it was Tucker, might have been Sean Hannity. I don't know which one, but they were playing some of the protesters who were also um coming up to testify, I think, at, the, at First Baptist Church down in um, Los Angeles. Anyway, one of the protesters said, basically, and I'm sorry, I couldn't find the exact quote from her, but she said, what they are offering isn't enough, and it will never be enough. And I thought that was an interesting statement, because it kind of almost said it all, I think. But what were your thoughts on this California report? Well, Everybody deplores the institution of slavery that ended in 1865, right? So that was, and we had 35 years of the 19th century, then the 20th century was 130. So we're up to what? We're up to 157 years. So we're into, I don't know how you want to approximate that. We're in the seven and eight generations from slavery. Now, you can argue that in the southern part of the United States, there was 
de, de jure Jim Crow discrimination that appeared after the collapse of Reconstruction in, in 1878. And then there was de facto discrimination, depending on the um, the area you're living. Out here in California, what I'm getting at, Sammy, is that we were not a slave state. Not at all. We never had slavery. We had other isms and ologies, and we did not have Jim Crow. In the sense that, uh, I can give you an example. In my local hometown, I was very good friends with an Armenian family, and they were very, as most Armenian immigrants were, if I could stereotype, very hardworking, frugal, very industrious, and very business savvy. And he did very well, and he wanted to buy a home. But it was, from the 19th century, nobody had even thought that it was still zoned no Armenians, you know, no Armenians. Yeah. And so do, and then the Armenian community came here after being slaughtered, slaughtered almost, almost completely in some areas of Turkey. There was over a million people. And I'm sure my Armenian friends are going to say, Victor, 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 that was more than that. But I can't give you precise figures above a million, but it was a million people. And they were slaughtered by Turkey and Turkey's never paid them reparations. So what I'm getting at is when once we go down that road, no matter how atrocious the behavior of the majority of population to the minority, uh, there were editorials in the 1840s in major newspapers on the East Coast asking whether Irish Irish immigrants were human because they were small, malnourished, especially after the 1840s potato famine. And they were many of them came over as indentured servants. Japanese Americans in our lifetime or my parents' last time were in cars, and they did get a 20,000 one-time sum, but that was uh, for a confiscation of property. We had the Yellow Peril in Leland Stanford, uh, you know, the Union Pacific Railroad. He has a numerous correspondence where he's very worried that the railroad is contributing to what he calls uh, the orientalization of California, that people are coming to work on it and staying. And a, you know, a man of his times, it was tribalist. And so what I'm getting at is that once we go down that road, that in the present, we're going to write all of the past way back. And I say way back because even Jim Crow has been de facto over by 19, from the 1960 civil rights movement, but surely by 1970. So we're a half century beyond Jim Crow. That's, that's one consideration. It just, it's going to make everybody retribalize. Everybody is going to say, you know what, if they do this, then how about this? And how about that? And how about yeah. this? And so that's one thing. And then, and, and, and I know that the reparations movement has said, well, look at the Jews in Germany. But those were direct descent. They weren't descendants. There's nobody Jewish right now say, third or fourth generation from the Holocaust, who's saying, my great-grandmother or my grandmother didn't get reparations for loss of income or confiscation of property. Therefore, I'm going to get it without, you know, a substantial, this is a parcel that was taken. Yeah. So, and so we don't do that uh, for third or fourth generation, much less seventh generation uh, Jewish people who have claims against Germany. And so... That's one thing. The second thing is, as I said, California was a free state. So 
when everybody says slavery, 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 they never talk about the 11 Confederate states and the four to five border states as, as unique. And it, it prompts a revisitation to the Constitution and the founding fathers, what we were all told are racist, but they, from the very founding of this nation, if you read documents, foundational documents, slavery was the central issue. And the majority of states, uh, you, I think you could make the argument by 1820, did not want slavery. And they did not want it at the founding. Most of the founders, even the people who owned slave, understood it was doomed. It was evil. And because of the predominance of Virginia in our founding, perhaps it wasn't resolved as quickly as it should have been. Although Jefferson, who was a slave owner, understood that he was a contributor to an evil. But my point is that they were presented with an existential question. How do we eliminate slavery when we've just got our freedom from the British? Are we going to have a civil war, the 1861 civil war? Are we going to have it in 1787, 1780? It would have destroyed the nation. So they put that off. And that was probably not wise, but it was the only alternative. They thought at the time, given their vulnerability, and the hostile powers in Europe that didn't want this country to succeed. And then we had a series of compromises. The, you know, the 1820, the Missouri Compromise, all of those compromises just put off the inevitable that yep. this country was going to go to war and 700,000 people died. So when uh, slavery is, is a horrible idea, but it's not unique to the United States. And the number of slaves that were confiscated or deprived of their liberty and shipped to the Middle East was as great or greater than the Western Hemisphere. The British Empire, as we know, outlawed it in a way that indigenous tribes and the Arab world did not. It was a participation of everybody, and it's as ancient as civilization, that evil. The word slave comes from Slav, you know, it's it, they were white slaves. And when you go in Greece, the only Greece was based on slavery. If you believe in Moses Finley, that the leisure allowed to participate in self-governance was in part because there were, I don't believe, you know, I think it's Athenians has a quote of 400,000 slaves in Attica, but let's say 20 to 40,000 slaves, most of them in the mines, but also in farms. And my point is that that was an institution at the very beginning of civilization, and not just Western civilization. It exists today in parts of the world. We, we know that in the Middle East and parts of Africa, they're slaves. So this idea that somehow slavery was unique to the West or to the Caucasians or whites, and it's it was based, America was based on slavery, is not the full picture. It's inexact. And so there's all the, and then we go to the present. And when you mentioned this quote, it was very telling because once you start becoming a deity and you say, okay, we are going to rectify all the errors of the past in our infinite wisdom in the present since we have all this morality, where do you start and where do you begin? And what is the next generation going to say? Oh, my God. Can you believe people were killing 10,000 people a year in late, late term abortion in a so-called sophisticated society? Let's go back and see who did that. And 
I don't I don't think you're able and present within you know reasonable limits. I don't think you can go back and and write the past. And then we get into the Great Society. If you go back and look at the Great Society that was birthed by the civil rights movement, it was predicated on the idea of addressing in a repertory fashion the evils of slavery, Jim Crow, and the legacy of that that had hurt African American communities. And that program over its last half century is probably funded about 50, 40 to 50 trillion dollars in entitlements that came to the underclass. And before the idea of diversity, when we had almost every other group that was non-white claiming that they had claims against claiming that they had, you know, entitlements uh, that were commiserate with their their racial status. It was mostly a binary of 12% African-Americans, 88% so-called white people. That was the binary, the tension, the parrot, whatever you want to use it. So those great society programs were largely in their genesis aimed at that problem. And they poured money in. And great sociologists, historians, political scientists like Tom Sowell, an economist, have looked at that. And he's he'd argued that as far as the African-American family, as far as the crime rates, part of it was the, the general direction of the country, but it doesn't explain the greater propensity of, of uh, things like illegitimacy or violent crime proportionally in the that it was a product of white liberal repertory action. Because everybody knows that when you just give somebody and you say, this is, we owe you this, then you get that reaction that was so significant in your quote. That's never going to be enough. I'm sorry. Slavery is so horrible that the very fact that you think you can buy us off, so we have permanent claim. You know, and there were 15,000 murders last year. Murders. 8,500 of them were African-American victims. Mostly the perpetrators were African-Americans. About 57% of the people who are murdered in the United States today, this year, are African American. And that's about 12%. So 12% of the population accounts for 58% of the people who are dying violently. And so before we get into these cosmic issues, why don't we just address that? Why don't we say, why are in the inner, is that because of the legacy of slavery or Jim Crow 100 and something years ago? Or is it the great society programs? Or is it the, maybe it's because of the racist inattention to the inner city. Maybe we should say, okay, let's have academies, private academies, where uh, our best teachers go into the inner city and offer charter schools, and they teach kids Latin and geometry at a very early age and make them competitive so that affirmative action 12 years later is superfluous. Or let's look at the popular culture, both white and black. Let's look at the lyrics of Cardi B's songs uh, about the demonization of women or the misogyny or the racism or the attacks on police and these rappers. And what effect is that? There's so what I'm getting at, Sammy, there's all these other things that take precedence that we could do to create de facto parody, but we're not getting any of it. And it's all it's Shelby Steele great colleague at the Hoover Institution of mine has pointed out, it's predicated on white guilt. So, the, And then we finally get to the last issue, and I'll shut up. The state is $25 billion, billion short this year. 
It's not the federal government. It can't have a deficit. It has to, to square the books at the end of the year. It's fiscal year will be $25 billion short. This is a state, everybody remember this, that has the highest income tax in the nation at 13.3%. If you look at local add-ons to the state sales tax, it rates about fifth in the nation. It has presently the highest gasoline taxes. It has a low property tax rate percentage-wise, but because of the aggregate valuation of sky-high property in California, property taxes are in the top quarter in the country. And yet, and yet, with all that revenue and all that $7 trillion in market capitalization of Silicon Valley, we have 21% of the poor living in the state. We have the highest number of homeless of anybody, both percentage-wise of any state and in absolute numbers. We have the highest number of illegal aliens. One of three people in the United States on public assistance is in this state. We have the highest property crime rate in the United States per capita in San Francisco, and Los Angeles is close behind. We have one of the most violent uh, property crime rate spikes of any state nationwide. I could go on. Yes. But And our schools are rated in the bottom 10% on the basis of test scores. Our electricity kilowatt prices, I think, are the second highest after Hawaii. Our fuel t tax is not, as I said, is the highest, but the fuel formula that is required in summer months and the blends required make gasoline higher than any state other than Hawaii. So with all these existential problems in California, in a time of massive debt with hyperinflation and heading into zero growth in recessionary times, I think we are. Somebody comes up with the idea, Newsom, this commission, you're going to give, what, $250,000 to 5% of the state population for something that happened 160 years ago. And it's not, this is key, it's not going to be based on need. So... And now we're, I said that would be the last, but I have a final fill-up. <laughs> okay. So, yes, think about it. LeBron James, Meghan Markle, Oprah. So we don't talk about class in this country. We only talk about race as the underprivileged and the oppressed and the victimized. And the reason we do that is that we are a fluid country, and somebody who's poor or middle um, can become middle class, and somebody with middle class can be upper middle class, and on and on. And the left hates that. It's an, it's what Marx, you know, basically would call as religion the opiate. They think, oh well, I'll be pretty, I'll you know, I'll have a a nicer car than the guy next door, and but that's false consciousness. Well, it's true consciousness. And so the left understood in this country that you can't have a permanent victimized class of the poor because they become wealthier. But race, that's unchangeable in their minds. And when it's not unchangeable, i.e. we're a highly integrated, intermarried, uh, and assimilated population where we'd have to have DNA badges uh, to tell who is black, who is white, who's Latino, who's Asian. And by the way, dash, dash, hypothetical, I mean, parenthetical here, don't think they will not go back to the old confederacy to adopt the one drop, one sixteenth rule. Remember, it was Haley, Haley Berry in a divorce court proceeding said, I want to invoke 
the one sixteenth rule because I want custody of my child who's one sixteenth black in a, in a dispute with the, her husband. So that's where we're headed. We don't have the money. We we don't have a history of slavery in the state. We're a multiracial state. We're forty five percent of the population is Latino. We have more immigrants. Twenty seven percent of Californians were not born in this country. So these people you quoted that were demanding reparations are saying to somebody from Guatemala, Mexico, uh, Cambodia, Korea, you owe us as a taxpayer into the general fund for something that happened to a, a country that you have no, you weren't even here. And I guess the argument would be, well, they inherited a racist environment, but if they're not so-called white, then are they oppressed Oppressed too? So the whole thing is just incoherent. And yes. why is Joe Biden doing this? Joe Biden no, it's doing, Gavin. It's Gavin. Well, I mean, Joe Biden is pushing it and Gavin yeah. is he's trying to piggyback on it. And you oh. know why they're doing it? Because they feel that they are losing 51 percent of the population of all. different, And they have to have these hot button issues and they have to satisfy a increasingly progressive dash regressive base. And that is, and then they control the institutions. And they feel that if we can call people race, they need an issue. They're basically a, an aggregate ju juicy smaller. The state of California, as it is run by that Bay Area elite, is is an incarnation of juicy smaller. And they want to create a victimhood on absurd grounds, and then they want to use that victimhood to extract reparations, psychological material from the majority. It's right. not. I mean, <laughs> it's not. The so-called white majority, everybody, it's about it's under 40 percent. So you're going to be basically telling the Latino community, you owe us for slavery because you're the tax. You're the middle class now and you're going to pay for us and you're going to pay. So, you know, Fernando Gonzalez came, say, 20 years from Mexico and he's working as an electrician. And the state is saying to him, you owe Oprah some money. Or you owe LeBron some money. It's not good. That's not viable. It's not it's viable. viable. I'm sorry. And so I will see. So I'm not trying to excuse the evil of, of course, I'm not slavery or Jim Crow, but this is a prescription for the former Yugoslavia or Rwanda. And just everybody should remember when you start to, as Martin Luther King warned us when he said content of our character, not color of our skin, when that becomes essential to you, your tribal affiliation. It's exactly like nuclear proliferation. Once one tribe goes tribal and starts talking about their racial essence as essential, then the next and the next and the next, and you get into so for self-preservation, everybody will go tribal. And we know where that leads. Yeah. Well, Victor, let's go ahead and take a break and then come back and talk a little bit about Elon Musk and his... Uh, recent uh, activities at Twitter. We'll be right back. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? 
Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. We're back and um, welcome. Uh, Victor, uh, Elon is, yeah, there's a couple of things that's go- that are going on. The current thing is he's banning some journalists who have, been tracking his private plane or or tweeting about his tracked private plane and so he rightly i think is calling that doxing him and but also he's he's being criticized for his rapid firing of top management and i think uh his critics are trying to suggest he's erratic and ergo unstable right and they don't they said they don't know why they were banned the journalists said that they know even though he I, yeah, but they keep saying they don't know why, even though Elon's perfect out there saying, because you're doxing me. But go ahead. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, the journalists that were banned, for the most part, were the most uh, eager to ban other people for opinions. They were banned, and I don't know if I agree with it or not, but they were banned because a website, Follow Elon or whatever its name is, tracks his private jet wherever he is. And people know then when he's going to land in a particular city or place. And he, he just had people that attacked a car in which his small son was in. So what he is saying is nobody on Twitter doxes anybody. Once you start to publicize the private itineraries of people for the express purpose of harassing them, i.e. following Maxine Waters advice, get in their faces, right? Follow them yeah. to the gas station or Barack Obama's. Uh, advice, get in their faces, argue with them. But you add, you know, you show up at a person's home, i.e. Uh, the people who went after Kavanaugh, they found out where he was living, then he's not going to put up with that. And then the issue arises is, well, he said that he was getting rid of all censorship and all of these boards, but now he's doing this by diktat, dictate. In other words, he decides that you can't dock somebody because it happened to him, but he should set up a disinterested board that would find, you know, would have these protocols. And maybe that's, there's some validity to it or not. As far as, but I, I can sympathize why he's doing it. They want to destroy him. They want to destroy Tesla. They want to destroy SpaceX. They want us to Starlink. Anything that is associated with him, they want to destroy. And they want to do it because he's sinned in two fundamental ways. Cardinal sin. Number one, he's an apostate. He was a big guy that wanted climate change. That was one of the motivations that drove him to Tesla. 
He was the underdog who was taking on GM and Ford, which the left supposedly hates. He was taking on NASA. He, he was the heartthrob. He gave the left a car that could go 300 miles without charge. And they had thought, you know, we just want to get, we got to get electric cars so we can virtue signal and we don't have to get gas and, and the Volt, Chevy Volt. It's just a mess. And, and Prius wasn't, and, and then he gave them a product that they wanted. And that became sort of a badge of honor. And all of a sudden he's an apostate in the sense that he's really for free speech and they're not. So they feel he betrayed them. And the second is, he doesn't care. He does. He's, he may be this week the world's richest man, next week the second richest, three weeks from now the tenth richest. But he has the wherewithal that he doesn't care what they say about him. In the sense they can't, he's, he's very hard to destroy. How do you destroy a guy like that with those resources and that energy? And so he's not. He doesn't care what you say about him. He, if you say to Elon Musk, you're never going to go to the White House Correspondents' Dinner again. You are never, ever going to be asked to be on the board of trustees of Stanford University. You're never, ever going to get an endowed professorship. You are never, ever going to get a Nobel Prize. He didn't care. So all of the le- we're going to review your book with a bad review. He, he he may be sensitive, but he obviously doesn't care or we, he wouldn't be willing to lose. And I think he will lose billions acquiring Twitter. And then third, there's another minor sin. He went into Twitter and he didn't just oppose them. He made them look ridiculous. He humiliated them because what he showed the world was these people are not just enemies of the First Amendment posing as civil libertarian. They're not just, you know, as Orwell was reportedly said, I haven't found that quote, but if they paid better, they'd be fascist. They're fascist. They do not want free expression. But he said they're lazy. They have to have all these <laughs> perks. They're little wimpy people. They're into psychodramas and melodramas. And they have this little bubble in San Francisco. Oh, I have to go to work. Why can't I stay home? Oh, I had to stand in line at the latte bar. Oh, I have to take, I need two hours for my yoga. You know, oh, the vegan section wasn't what I want. That's what he, that's the image that he's exposing. And it makes them look like what they are. Spoiled people that, you know, and he's not Mark Zuckerberg. And he's not Bill Gates, and he's not Jack Dorsey. These people, I give them credit, they created the technological revolution in Silicon Valley. It helped the United States. It took over the world. Great, great, great. But it's cyber. It's, it's, it's you know, the Internet. It's social media. It's email. It's Twitter. It's not brick and mortar. This guy, in a 19th century fashion, built a rocket that works and sends a satellite, which those people need. Tesla and space are real things. He built a car. He had computer chips. He needs that technology, but uh, he needs the Internet. But it's a real physical thing. And we don't do that in America anymore. We don't. We make our money out of Sam Bankman-Fried by market manipulation or Ponzi schemes or when you look at that Fortune 400 and you look at where that fortune is, there's still a few people in retail, assembly, manufacturing, oil, gas, real estate, but most of it is in law 
media, insurance, hedge funds, investment, and big tech. So he's a throwback to something we haven't seen this before. And I think, you know, I don't want to over overuse this tragic hero paradigm, but I think he is a, he's not quite like Trump, but he's a tragic hero because he has a certain methodology that gets things done. But in the process, he doesn't follow the rules. And people, when they're the beneficiary of his success, will find the laxity that they can start focusing on. He doesn't follow the rules. So for now, everybody feels he's a folk hero and he's taking on big tech. But when he just one day says, you know what? You tell the world where I'm going to land with my child on it. And they try to hurt my child. I don't give a damn. I'm just going to get you off. And I don't care who you are. Well, we don't do that. That's the gunslinger who pulls out his gun. And he gets rid of the cattle barons and he rides off in the sunset because you can't do that. And so what he's doing is he's revolutionizing Silicon Valley. But he's using a methodology that he himself knows cannot be orthodox. What he's doing is he's going after the bad guys, but in the process, he's he's got to use a methodology that's not compatible with what the, the eventual solution will be. And that is, we're eventually going to get to people who wake up and say, you know what, these people are nothing unless they have the public cyber airspace. They go, they send their waves through the air. That's what, and the electronic, and they need the public. To quote Elizabeth Warren, you didn't build that. I don't quite believe that. But what I'm getting at is it's not just a newspaper. It is the phone. It is the electrical grid. It is a public commodity. And they have to follow the rules of free expression because they, they are a public utility. And I think sure, and we don't have a democracy without no. that, right? And, and I think that's where we're headed. But the person who's going to get us there is not the sober and judicious person who calls up Jack Dory. Hey, Jack, just wondering, you're under oath and here in Congress. Do you guys ever shadow ban? Oh no, we wouldn't do that. Okay, I just thought you didn't. That's not going to get you where you want you go. You got to get a guy like him who says, "I will lose." 40 blank, blank, I-N-G dollars, if I have to, to destroy this monster, I'll cut off every damn Hydra head there is, and I will do what's necessary. But when, in that process of doing what's necessary, you beneficiaries are going to turn on me because I'm a little uncouth and crazy. And more power to them. I think we have not enough Achilles and Ajaxes and Ethan Edwards and uh, the wild bunch left. Yeah, yeah, and he certainly is showing himself to be something in that along that order. Well, Victor, you know, we we often talk on this show about all the things going wrong in America, and I was hoping that maybe we could go over some of our troubles and and maybe see a light at the end of the tunnel. And, Everybody and seems to tell me optimism. that <laughs> we need some light at the end of the tunnel. I know, so and I got I, I feel so bad because I've been playing. Eeyore for so long. Everybody said, lighten up. I can't take it anymore. You write, you've written about how America's going to hell. Give me some hope. 
Yeah. So let's go with some hope and we'll go. Okay. What do you want to know? Issues. Let's, um, let's just start with one first and then we'll have to take a break and we'll come back with a few more. But okay. how about the, the debt in America? Well, that's the, how big, are we going? That, I mean, that's the elephant. Okay. I've written about that a lot and I have, but not just in that. We owe 31 trillion this week. That's uh, 120 to 125% of GDP. And we're not in World War II. And we're running an annual deficit. And it's all, it's, it was George Bush, it's Barack Obama, it was Donald Trump, it's Joe Biden. It's 1.5, 1.7 trillion dollars annually. And that's not sustainable because when the interest rate goes up, you have to service that huge sum. It's not Bill Clinton servicing, you know, five trillion dollars. Uh, when the interest rate goes up, it's 31 trillion. You get up to, we get into hyperinflation where I think 7% will be, it may be higher next year. I don't think the Fed can, has controlled it. And you get up to interest yeah. rates that are 7 or 8%. And you have 30, you know, you're talking about in a budget of $4 trillion, 7% of 31 trillion. I mean, we don't, most of, a lot of that 31 trillion, not a lot, but a lot, a substantial amount is owned, owed by the Chinese and everybody. But still, no matter who's it owed to, you're talking about a couple of trillion dollars in theory in interest. And the sad thing is every single year we get more revenue. Sometimes it's a hundred billion, sometimes it's 500 billion, but the spending outpaces it. So we know it's not sustainable and we know there's only three ways, four things to do. You either bite the bullet. And you stop spending and you reform the tax code. And Simpson Bowles, I know Alan Simpson. I like him. He's a great guy. I know he's controversial. A lot of conservatives are, have their uh, feuds with him. But I think he's a wonderful guy. And the Simpson Bowles committee in 2010 had the answer. They, they cut taxes. They simplified the tax code. I think the three brackets, they got rid of a lot of tax credits and deductions which people on the conservative side didn't like. They had a little gas tax increase. And then they they held entitlements to the rate of inflation, mostly, some cuts. And you know what they said, Sammy? By 2014, 2014, it was $17 trillion. They They forecast that they could stop it there. Think of that. Right now, wow. we'd be... It, and then they said, if you continued with this, we would re- reduce... 60% by 2000, guess what year, 2023, next year. And what would we be? We would have a $10 trillion national debt, not $31 trillion, And we would eliminate it in about a decade. And we and they reported back to Barack Obama. Some Republicans didn't like it because of the gas tax, but mostly it was the left that wanted more entitlements. And Barack Obama said, oh, I didn't think you'd do really come up with a proposal and he just forgot about it. They toured the country, oh Erskine, Erskine yeah. Bowles and, and Alan Simpson, bipartisan, private citizens and public. It was a wonderful commission. Alan Simpson spent a great deal of his time and effort to tour the country. And guess what? That would have solved the problem. And that's what we need to get back to. Yeah. What's yeah, next? Um, let's take a break and then come back and we'll look at a couple of more things, the border and our natural resources, and maybe a little bit on tribalism, but we'll be right back. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe, now available on digital. 
Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back, uh, Victor. So, yeah, the, the, what's next is the border. We have over 5 million new people in our country illegally since Joe Biden has been in office. And I think everybody's aghast and we're only seeing our left wing news outlets now start talking about it. I, I, I'm, I mean, I'm speechless when I see that. Like, where were they for the last two years? But well, what, it, is there anything positive? Go ahead. No, there's no border. It doesn't exist. They destroyed it. There were 5 million illegal crossings. And I don't believe there's 20. I, there's more like 30 million illegal aliens. We have the highest number and absolutes and percentages of people not born in the United States than we've ever had. It's, it's, I said it's 27% of California, but it's 50 million people. And they haven't been assimilated and integrated as they were under the melting pot, under, under solid, bold tribalism. It's, oh, we wouldn't want to infringe on your, your ethnic identity or essence. And we had the solution. So I said the Simpson Bowls would be a solution because your theme, what you asked was, Let's be positive. Okay, I'm positive. 2019 and 20, we solved it. There was essentially no more illegal crossing. And what did Donald Trump, they hated Donald Trump, do? He went back through 500 miles of rickety fence and he fixed it. And he was just starting. Everybody said, well, he didn't build a wall. Wall Street Journal and Cole, everybody makes fun of him. He didn't build a wall because they sued and sued and sued. And his own Department of Defense and Homeland Security, low-level people tried to undermine him. Remember Anonymous? We will stop this yeah. guy. But he finally started to build it new. And had he been reelected, we would have had the entire border secure with a wall. And it would have mostly worked. Then he said... If Mexico continues to contribute to this and subsidizes the export of human capital, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to revoke NAFTA and renegotiate it, and you're not going to get these trade concessions. And second, we're going to tax $60 billion in remittances because your people are coming up here illegally, and they are in many areas on federal help and subsidies, housing, education, food stamps, legal. And they're using those subsidies to free up cash to send back to your country because you won't pay for your own poor. So I'm going to tax that $60 billion. And you know what? If you want refugee status, you apply for it in your home country. And you know what? There's no more catch and release. And the problem was solved. He was hated. They lied and said, he created cages. No, Barack Obama did. Barack Obama did, and they weren't cages. And what the, compared to what we have now with people drowning in the Rio Grande and 
and these poor communities overrun. And we've had a lot more deaths on the border than we did under Donald Trump. And so yeah, there is no border. So there's really a solution. Healthy, yeah. yeah, there's a solution. We had it. We have a solution for the debt. We could do it tomorrow. It wouldn't inconvenience us that much. We have a easy solution for the border. We don't have a solution for the debt, not because we don't know what's going to do, but because the left doesn't want to do it. And to some extent, the right. And we don't have a solution on the border because the corporate right and the, I guess you'd call it tribal left, feel that it's in their interest. The, the former with cheap labor, the latter with uh, what they call demography is destiny. Remember what the left does. Demography is destiny, meaning we're going to let everybody in this country and they're going to be dependent on us and they're going to vote against so-called white aristocratic golfers in the Republican Party. But if you say that we're doing that, that becomes a great replacement theory and you're a racist. <laughs> but it's the same thing. So yeah, we have these solutions. Well, I'm trying to be positive, but there are solutions, yeah. easy solutions. What about the conservatorship of our natural resources? What, what should we be doing with them? I mean, America has been that, famous for having excessive. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, precious metal. There's, there's all down by Brawley. There's all kinds of lithium. I was just talking to a, a very successful captain of industry who was explaining that lithium is there to be mined for our new generation of batteries, but there again, Sammy, we had a solution. We were energy independent. Maybe we exported and imported, but the net ledger was we were slated to get up to 15, 16, 17, 18 million barrels. We had Anwar open. We had Keystone. We were pressuring to build the Constitution uh, gas line to New England. We had the record new federal leases for oil and gas. The price was affordable to the middle class. Weeds flooded the world with cheap oil. That Who hated that? We did not beg Venezuela as Biden did. We did not beg Iran. We did not beg Saudi Arabia. We did not beg Russia. We said, we don't need you. And you know what? We said, we don't need to be in the Middle East. That's an optional, that's an optional idea to go to war. It's not a necessity anymore. It was just a win, win, win. And as far as the environmentalists were, we said we can extract and horizontal drill and frack much cleaner and with much more sobriety than anybody in the world. And it's a fungible commodity. It would be better. It, the more that can be produced under environmental guidelines in the United States, the better the world is off. And guess what? He came in. Anwar, check, no more Anwar. Fewest gas and oil leases in any president in history. Canceled Keystone. Drained the strategic petroleum reserve right before the midterms. Spiked oil and gas. People can't now can't even afford to. I just got my propane bill. It's five dollars a gallon. My God, under Trump, I think it was a dollar twenty-five. And this is: it, Are you going to buy a steak? Or are you going to a chuck steak? Or are you going to fill your tank up? That's what he gave us. But again, we had the solution. It was all there. Yeah. Okay. So this is the last one, and I think okay. I'm going to. I would I would like to talk about higher education, but maybe we'll do that in a in our next. Yeah, why don't we um, do that? Why don't you think episode, of how many is this for? Give us. Let's do yeah, 10. let's go. I just want to go do to eight or ten, and we'll forces. do half now. Okay, armed for you want to go to a tribalism okay. or armed forces? 
I, I wanted to go to armed forces okay. and, and, have, yeah. and see what you have to say about all of our armed forces being diverted into left politics and worried about race and trans status rather than the potential enemy out there and or the enemies. Go ahead. Well, I'm really worried about the armed forces. I've been I think all the all of conservative America was the source of the arms, armed services and the military, the Pentagon. Um, support on every budgetary battle or funding battle or cultural area we supported the military but somewhere in this woke revolution the left said you know what i like the military now i hate the military but i like them because they don't have this give and take about legislation they can just use the chain of command and by fiat have you know Subsidized transgender surgeries, gay marriage, women in combat. Like, we can do anything we want. All we have to do is get to that that four-star class in Washington and let them know that we're going to go after them or we're going to reward them, depending on their attitude. They're going to be three-star, two-star. You're going to be promoted if, not if your artillery shells hit the target of your unit, not if your flyers hit the second cable on the carrier every time, but whether you have diversity, equity, inclusion. And so the result of all this is if you look at the Reagan Foundation popularity poll, it's the lowest it's ever been. Only 45% of Americans have great confidence in the U.S. armed forces. Some of the branches until recently were 50% below their annual targets of recruitment. And we ask ourselves, and they say, well, that's because everybody's obese. That's because people are taking drugs. That's because wages are higher. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But we think we know what it really is, that there was a particular demographic, to use their words, that inordinately and disproportionately joined the military in general and combat units in particular. And those were conservative, traditionalist, white males, from south of the Mason-Dixon line and from rural areas like Bakersfield or Fresno or upstate New York or southern Michigan or northern Illinois, whether that group, and I say this again, people get very angry when they hear it, but since the Pentagon keeps a racial classification quota on every aspect of promotion and diversity and this and that, they do it except for one one rubric, and that's the number of people who were killed, killed in Afghanistan, Iraq. And so they went after and called these people white supremacists and white privilege, and that particular rubric died at double their 35%, double their 35% uh, proportion of the population. And that was suicidal. So these families, yeah. three, four generations, said, not this pig anymore. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not sending my son whose father was killed in Iraq um, or the first Gulf War, whose grandfather was wounded in Vietnam, uh, not sending him into the military anymore. Nope, nope not going to do it. Not so he sits in and be yelled at and told he has to read Professor Kendi and he's going to have to confess his privilege. And there isn't much privilege in southern Michigan out in the rural area, believe me. There's not much privilege yeah. out in Fresno County in the rural areas or the Oklahoma diaspora that still hasn't quite, in some cases, achieved parity in the Sierra foothills. And the idea that those people are going to join like they have in the past, they're not going to do it. 
and they're very they have to be very careful because they're starting to the woke is starting to offend the latino population and one branch of the service we know depends on hispanics or the marine corps and you take yep. a traditional hispanic youth who is very important catholic faith the nuclear family fertility and you put him in a unit when you tell him that there are certain issues that are antithetical to his values and it, and the military is going to push those issues and they're not going to be battle efficacy he's not going to join um, so that's what's yeah. happened and how again can but we how do we change this yeah well, we just we have this? to tell the military we have to we have to take control of the government by election. There has to be a Republican administration and a majority in Congress, and they have to uh, start changing Pentagon protocol. And then they have to do some other things as well, because it's not just recruitment. We are investing these huge sums. I, I You know, the B-21 bomber sounds great to me, but $750 million? When we're watching a war in action where these drones for a million dollars or half a million are destroying whole apartment buildings, you know, for 750 million, I would think I would like 750 sophisticated drones and maybe a submarine that, you know, emerges from the deeps of the sea with a flat top on it and suddenly lets out or shoots from the under, under the ocean a thousand drones. Who knows? Each, you know, in, undetectable but my point is that we can no longer have a revolving door so a three-star two-star four-star starts to see that 200 150 thousand dollars in pension is not enough and i'm going to gravitate to raytheon like lloyd austin or northrop or lockheed or general dynamics and make more money in you know 10 years and i made my entire life as a board member whose expertise and contacts in the Pentagon will be monetized by my new employer. And therefore, we get these big ticket items in many cases that are unrealistic. And then we need to really set the officer course straight. We need to tell them, you are not political animals. You are disinterested. When you entered the military and when you were promoted to officer rank, you understood the code of military justice. You knew what Article 88 was. It was inaugurated in 1953, and it was partly because of the Sturm and Drang of the MacArthur incident. And you knew, you understood that Douglas MacArthur could not trash the commander in chief. He couldn't trash them when he was serving, and he started to do it when he was retired. And out of that came the idea that even if you're a retired officer, you cannot trash the vice president, the commander in chief, and the major elected officials. And so what happened? All of a sudden, this woke movement, it went through the entire retired ranks. So all of a sudden, uh, we all of a sudden, we were told Donald Trump's cages are like Auschwitz. This was a, an Air Force general. Donald Trump is like Mussolini, an army general. Donald Trump is on D-Day. He's like, he's almost like the Nazis on D-Day. Loosely quoting, Donald Trump is a liar. Donald, here's a four-star admiral. Donald Trump should be removed sooner than later. I, we have elections for that. You don't have to do it sooner than later. And so it was almost insurrectionary, but was clearly in defiance of a statute. If that statute means nothing, then junk the entire uniform code of military justice. 
So what would I suggest in positive? Get rid of the politicalization, weaponization, and indoctrination that has nothing to do with battlefield efficiency. Make sure that revolving generals, as they go out retirement, there's a hiatus of five or 10 years before they can serve on a dense defense contractor board. Do not let any military person have any more exemptions when they come out of the military. They have, there's a waiting period before they can be secretary of defense or a high post in the defense board. You've got to go back and reinforce that. No more exemptions. Mm, yeah. And then that sounds good. I think in, in addition to that, I, I think it's, it's really important that the chairman of the joint chiefs has to understand that he is not in the chain of command. We have taken that, we don't understand the history of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs that grew out of World War II. Mark Milley has no operational command in the chain of command. And that is an entirely advisory war. When Mark Milley had people in his room, officers, and say on nuclear protocol, all decisions of the theater commanders goes through him, that was insurrectionary because the statute says that the president shall set policy in terms of national security crisis. The Department, the Secretary of Defense, through the chain of command, will inform the theater commanders. It doesn't say that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs absorbs a role and interrupts that chain of command. Much less does it say that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs can call his Chinese counterpart, the head of the People's Liberation Army, and say to him, Essentially, I think that our commander is unstable because suddenly I have a PhD in neuropsychiatry and I've made this diagnosis on my, I'm being just, but that's what he assumed. And now I understand yeah. that my, that I have diagnosed him as non-compost mentis. And therefore, if he ever gives an order to go into DEFCON three or four, I'm going to, I'm going to apprise you first. Tell me what that is. I think it's the big T word. Yeah. And there was no ramifications for that. There was no ramifications when he did what every chairman of the Joint Chiefs have photo ops. That's what they do. That's what yes. Owen Powell couldn't, he couldn't, uh, you know, God rest his soul, but he couldn't resist any photo op with the president. And when Mark Milley starts, oh, I apologize for having a photo op with the hated Donald Trump. He didn't say hated, but that's what the impression was. So we had politicized the Joint Chiefs is what I'm trying to say. And that has to be yeah, depoliticized and has to be defined. And we have to tell the chairman of the Joint Chief, if you interrupt the chain of command, if you get into the political arena and start making statements, if you pander to Congress and say, talk about white privilege and try to snowball on the George Floyd momentum, you're going to be fired because that's not your, you're a military advisor. You seek the president and the vice president ask you, this is what we contemplate. Would you please tell me, drawing on your knowledge, whether this is doable, whether it's not doable, where in the cost benefit it's viable, whether it's stupid, and give me your opinion as a military expert, period. And they didn't do that. And so what I'm getting at, you see the larger picture. These people are just out of control. They, they're in the, they're in the, they're in the Pentagon and they're like, oh, huh, I'm going to go work for this 
defense contractor and I'm going to call up my colonel that used to work for me and I'm going to say, you know what, we got a really, really good anti-ballistic missile platform. I, you got to really push that. And oh, by the way, I'm getting a couple hundred thousand dollars. And oh, by the way, I, I think Donald Trump's an idiot. Maybe tomorrow will be Joe Biden. And I think he's Mussolini and Hitler. Or I think he's okay. And oh, by the way, I, I think that uh, uh, I'm testifying. I, you know, I don't like uh, Chicano nationalism. Well, I, I think it's dangerous. Or, uh, you know, I don't like poor white trash, whatever it is. And just start mouthing off. And they're out of control. And they're violating statutes, they're violating protocols, and they're, they've, they've taken, and don't listen to me, Sammy, listen to the polls. They took one of the most trusted institutions in the United States, and they have lost 50% of the support of the American people for the reasons that I outlined. And they do not want a weaponized tool of the left in the military. They don't want it. They want it apolitical. And they want it to be the most lethal and feared military in the world. And unfortunately, I didn't have time to get into it, but I'll finish with this. This was all a loud, rambling preamble to Afghanistan because we, the American people are saying to themselves, okay, we can put up with this nonsense of politicized generals and kindy and white privilege and all that crap and defense contractor boards, but we cannot put up with fleeing Afghanistan, getting 13 people blown up, blowing up a civilian car and claiming that it was a righteous strike, leaving a billion-dollar embassy behind a $300 million refitted air base, who knows how many billion dollars in military hardware, and thousands of loyal Afghan um, allies and contractors, and destroying a hard-won deterrence, destroying it to the effect that just a few months later, Barack, uh, let me cut that, let me start again, destroying deterrence to the effect that just a few months later, Vladimir Putin said, you know what, if I go into Ukraine, these people are not going to do anything. I've seen them in Afghanistan. They're not going to do anything. They flee. They flee. They leave stuff behind. And they turned Afghanistan into an international weapons mart for terrorists. You think they're going to help Ukraine? Now, he was wrong about that. But one of the reasons he went in, because he thought that we had lost deterrence. And we have. Deterrence is a psychological condition. So when he felt that he could go on in with impunity, there was no more deterrence. And now it has to be reestablished. And the reestablishment of deterrence is always more costly than it's... Yeah. And then it's gratuitous abandonment. So there were so many things that went wrong and nobody was held accountable. In fact, the critics, if you look at my email, when I wrote columns about these very issues, it was just, I got a call from a, a an officer who worked for the joint, wanting to know what, you know, why I was writing criticism. I had people from the military. Who, who are you? You weren't in the military. So that was even scarier that they, the pushback. And the yeah. self-righteous, how dare you, we're in the Pentagon. And this is the people's uniform. This, this is the pe- everybody, this is citizens control the Pentagon. They need to understand that. It's not a Washington-centric revolving door, uh, get promoted on the basis of political correctness or wokeness. And I know that the majority yeah, it- of officers that are listening, they know it. They know it. 
and they can't say anything because to say anything will destroy their careers, but they know that that's true. Well, you're right about that elections make a difference and we really need to get out there and change the the look of Washington through elections. I mean, even just recently, Wasi Safi, who worked with the U.S. in Afghanistan, he was an Afghani, came across the border and the Biden administration has him in jail. It's just it's shameful. It is five, five, five million illegal entries. And we decide to jail the one person who has no criminal record but helped us in Afghanistan, whose brother was given citizenship, because he just said, you yeah. know what, I'll never get out of Afghanistan alive unless I do what the other five million are doing. And that's why. And basically he's, yeah, he's in jail. So he's, the whole threat is they're going to send him back there and they'll kill him when they you, go yeah, back. Yeah, they will. And this, this is, this is endemic to the left. The left has this crazy, stupid, nefarious practice that to validate itself or to have a veneer of legality, they always go after the so-called misdemeanor good citizen because they strut and they thrust their chest out and they say, wow, we have we have a border. He came in illegally. We can't do that. You know, because they can't handle the felony. It's too existential for them. It's just like the road that I live in. Within a two-mile radius, there's no zoning laws, there's no dog licensing, there's no uh, Romex laws on electricity. There's nothing. Sui, everything is in violation. And yet, there's about four families that follow the law. And believe me, if they need a permit, and they will ask for a permit, that whole government apparatus will hound them to death. Because they say to themselves, yeah. ah, this guy will listen to me. This guy will pay a fine. This guy will show that I still have power, that I am somebody, that the law that I enforce is still there because it's not there for most people. And that's what they do. They punish the citizen. They always punish the citizen. They do. Well, Victor, we're at the end of our time here, and we have left tribalism and to look at higher education. Oh, boy, voting, that's, that's something to look for. I, this was supposed to be positive. And, I hope it was. I know. There are solutions. Yeah. I gave it. I, I tried yeah. to suggest some. Don't lose hope, yeah. everybody. We can stop it. We no. can stop the madness instantaneously. This country can make a yeah. radical correction. It's not too late. We, we'll, can, we can correct within months. If we had the right people in there and we had public support. Yeah. And right now we're seeing some of that in the House as they begin trials on the Hunter Biden laptop and other things. Right. So where there is change being made. So we're happy with that. Well, thank you very much, Victor, for all your wisdom. And we'll come back in our next episode and finish up what we were doing here today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we're going to be upbeat again in in my Eeyore fashion. (laughs) All right. This is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hanson, and we're signing off.